There's something we all need for our lives to make sense. It's called emotional intelligence. You might hear it called EI or EQ. What it means is emotional literacy for me and for you. Emotional intelligence develops the mind and helps us make sense of our feelings inside. What a wonderful world. Hello and welcome to another episode of ERG Power Talk. I'm your host, Joe Santana. That clip you were just listening to is from the Emotional Intelligence song created for the Emotional Intelligence Institute, a nonprofit website that offers free lessons to those who want to improve their emotional intelligence or EQ. While the term emotional intelligence has become pretty common in today's discussions, it only dates back to the 1960s and really became increasingly popular since 1995. And that was after the publication of author Daniel Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence. While there's been some vigorous debate and criticism around the topic, there are some experts who have claimed that emotional intelligence can account for up to 67% of the abilities that are considered necessary for superior leadership performance. So what is emotional intelligence? How does it impact your performance? And how do you acquire it? These are some of the questions that we will cover with our special guests today. But first, let's take Take a moment to revisit our mission and acknowledge our sponsors. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others who are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Behringer Ingelheim, CVS Health, Dollar General, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, McCormick, Johnson Controls, Pitney Bowes, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. Our guest today has a pretty interesting and eclectic background. He's been a loan officer in the home mortgage industry, a religious instructor, a senior business development consultant, and an adjunct professor at Brigham Young University, Idaho. Currently, he's a consultant and leadership facilitator with a company that's considered one of the most applicable, thorough, and powerful emotional intelligence consulting organizations in the world. Hey, my name's Kelly Newman. I work for Blue EQ and uh, I love this whole topic of emotional intelligence. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you here today, Kelly. So Kelly, let's start off by you telling us what got you started on the topic of emotional intelligence? About five years ago, I was working for an organization. We did a lot of consulting work and I attended a workshop put on by Blue EQ. It was a full eight hour, uh, full day workshop. And it just blew me away. I didn't understand the concept very well prior to this workshop. And uh, not only did the concept just really resonate, just the, how it was taught and everything, 
I actually decided right then and there in that workshop, I just said, I want to do this. This is so awesome. I just got really excited about it. And, uh, and I, I literally just approached the, the owner and, and just said, let me work for you. I want to teach this. I want to sell this. I want to work with organizations to help them develop EQ in, in their people. And they actually, about a month later, after being fairly persistent, they gave me a, a shot. And anyway, now I'm, I'm the lead facilitator of Blue EQ and uh, worked here for several years and just really enjoy it. So you, as they say, just caught that fire. And that's great. So give us a working non-technical definition of what emotional intelligence is. Emotional intelligence is just trying to be a little bit more aware of our own emotions, right? Self-awareness is really foundational to our emotional uh, or to our uh, emotional intelligence and learning to better control some of those emotions. That's what we call the internal or the self side. It's all about self-awareness and self-control. And there's some things that we can do to improve that. But it doesn't stop there. There's also this external side. It's about other people. It's learning to be more aware of other people and what they might be thinking or feeling or trying to communicate to us. And that awareness of other people allows us to better influence them and uh, communicate with them. And so that's our simplified definition is, is, is awareness, both internally and externally, to be more effective with the people we interact with. Got it. So give us an example of what happens in leadership situations when leaders lack emotional intelligence. Yeah. You know, what I talk about quite often is the old style of leadership is really going away. And that's the, the more of the dictatorship style of leadership, the more the command and control kind of style. What's been emerging in the 21st century is a far more collaborative style of leadership. And it's far more powerful. It's far more effective. And so what we're seeing is strong leaders are collaborating. They're getting the thoughts, the input, the, the ideas of their team, of their you know direct reports and so forth to really try and make sure that we can innovate. And if we're going to stay in business in the modern global marketplace, we've got to be able to innovate. And it takes everybody's ideas and thoughts. And so a leader who is low in emotional intelligence is typically what I hear quite often is they're closed off or closed minded, or it's my way or the highway kind of attitude, or they're emotionally unstable. Maybe they fly off the handle or you never know what to expect from day to day. And we're just finding in our research and our experience that more and more in the modern workplace, not only do people want to work for a company, uh, a culture, a boss who has high emotional intelligence, but they're far more effective. They're far more effective in the, in the modern workplace. People do not want to work for a boss who has low emotional intelligence. They find another, at least team, if not company, to work for. So Kelly, what are the consequences for a leader who has low EQ? One of the very first companies to begin to work with had a VP of operations that was quite uh, toxic, quite what we call red zone, low EQ, and, and just yell at everybody, just do it my way. Person, extremely knowledgeable, okay, knows the job so well, but nobody wants to work for him or they're scared of him. And it's very interesting. And this is a sadder story because uh, this person actually lost his job. The executive team just said, for the betterment of our organization, we've got to force a retirement here. He'd been with the company a very long time. And they just said, here's what's going to happen. And then I still remember him, this is CEO talking. I still remember him telling me that the seven managers that he, or his direct reports, 
were very similar to him. In other words, they were modeling this bad behavior and they did a lot of work to help them go, that's not what our company is about. That's not what's going to make us successful. And, and, and anyway, really did a lot of work to help those managers come into the 21st century as far as leadership style. Now it's been four or five years. That company is, is just doing so well. I've heard just so many very good reports from that company. Got it. So the bottom line is that a lack of EQ can cost you your role as a leader. What are the specific areas we need to focus on to raise our EQ? Yeah, that's a great question. We talk about learnable skills. What are some of these skills and and why they're so important in the modern workplace? I think that might be helpful. To, so we utilize an assessment to measure emotional intelligence. And, and I think this might help to point out some of these skills and dimensions. So things like empathy uh, is something we measure. And that's when you think of emotional intelligence, that might be something that comes to mind or mindfulness, for example, but some things that are not as obvious that are part of emotional intelligence are things like conflict management. But that's a part of our emotional intelligence is learning to do that well. Or our integrity is actually part of our emotional intelligence. Our stress tolerance is part of our emotional intelligence. Yep, makes sense. And would you say that effectiveness in all those core areas is probably at an all-time high during this COVID and post-COVID era? And so when you talk about 2020 in the COVID world, we are still in really. I, I just say this, has there ever been a greater need for emotional intelligence than right now with what we've been through. And it's not just, it's not just COVID. That's been obviously the big one, but I, I still remember very clearly calling a client in Northern California and, uh, and her talking about three pandemics. And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean three? So COVID has really hit our area very hard. And then she talked about some of the racial tensions and civil unrest that was they're experiencing in their area. And then she talked about how there was 300 plus forest fires burning all around them. And I basically just said, I can call you back later. <laughs> it's, uh, and what I'm saying here is people's emotions are on edge, right? They're, they're stressed more than ever. They've had to adapt in ways that they've never had to before. Yeah. And that's what emotional intelligence is all about, is learning to be more intelligent with the emotions that we're feeling, the other people around us. Uh, our feeling. And as we talk about the modern workplace and this hyper-competitive global you know, world we live in and, and what we've just experienced in 2020, learning to be intelligent with your own emotions and again, with the emotions of people around you is absolutely critical to your success. Totally agree. So Kelly, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how important these skills are for the people that are listening to this show. As employee community leaders, part of their role is to increase inclusion and connection across groups in their organizations. And that means reaching out to and connecting with people who are different from them. And whenever we communicate across differences, there is always a higher chance for misunderstanding. So our ability to remain centered, in control of ourselves, and calm, as well as not triggering negative responses in others, becomes even more critical, I would think. What are your thoughts? Really good points there, Joe, no, no question. In fact, one thing I wanted to that goes along with what you're saying is, is the reason why emotional intelligence is so important is it creates 
an environment that researchers and psychologists call psychological safety. In other words, as I'm more intelligent with my emotions and the people around me, it creates a safer environment for people to interact with me. And this environment of psychological safety is what is so critical to the success of the modern team. And so at our company, it's not just about this idea of emotional intelligence. It's about the effects that it creates in our environment. And again, psychologists call this psychological safety. And when people learn about this concept, it is it just really resonates because they want that. They want that at their workplace. They want that in their families. They want that in their communities and so forth. Kelly, what would you say are the first steps our listeners should take to embark on a journey to improve their emotional intelligence? Are there any simple tips? Some simple tips to just improve emotional intelligence. Go with, you know, a little bit of introspection and where am I at with my emotional intelligence? With some of these areas, how can I assess myself? Now, we provide an assessment, which I think really helps that. But each person can take some time and say, how do I do in some of these areas? Like showing empathy to other people or ego management, for example, is a part of our emotional intelligence. Do I control my ego enough around other people? Because we all know associating with somebody who's extremely arrogant, that, that causes issues. There's consequences to that. People shut down and so forth. And so uh, the first step I'd say is a self-evaluation. Got it. So step one is to evaluate ourselves. Now, your organization does a lot of these evaluations. Are there any recurring themes? Are there any dimensions that show up at the bottom again and again that listeners should be aware of as areas that very likely need work? I'll tell you the bottom three dimensions that we find globally in thousands and thousands of assessments that uh, people take is number one, stress tolerance. In fact, in COVID 2020, a stress tolerance decreased by 16% overall. And that's, that's our ability to really handle the stress positively and effectively that comes in our lives. And, and that decreased 16%. The second one that we're seeing is as low is called impulse control and just being impulsive, making rash decisions and so forth. And the third one is mindfulness. It's our ability to be able to focus and be present in the moment. Again, these are three of the 25 dimensions we cover and assess and so forth. If you were asked to offer just one tip that addresses those three key areas that you just outlined, something that will increase our stress tolerance, impulse control, and mindfulness, what would you say? One tip that just makes a significant difference in all of those areas and more is our technology is just wonderful. It has so many blessings and so many neat things that it can do, but unfortunately, it is stressing us out more. It's causing us to be more impulsive, less mindful, because it's constantly distracting us. It's constantly telling us what we should be doing, thinking about, focusing on. In fact, a couple of years ago, I went to the notification section of my iPhone and just turned off a whole bunch of different apps that I don't need to be notified of. I still have the apps. I can go to them at any time, but they're not constantly barraging me in these you know, notifications that, are, that can be stressful, that can be distracting, that can cause us to not be really focused on at the moment. So that's just one little you know, tidbit out of many that we could probably talk about of how to improve our emotional intelligence, less multitasking and, and, and more focusing on the person, the situation, the meeting, or, or, or what have you. Got it. So minimizing distraction through better technology management helps with all three of those factors. 
Okay, so let's pause here for a moment and see what we've learned of value to you as an ERG leader and potentially for your future career as a rising leader. One, emotional intelligence refers to your ability to perceive, control, and evaluate emotions in others and in yourself. And additionally, being able to manage your own emotions. Two, in today's world, emotional intelligence is essential for all leaders. As a resource group leader, that includes you, especially since your committees and your general members are all volunteers. Three, emotional intelligence enables you to create an environment of psychological safety, which is critical for fully engaging all of your group members in your group's mission. Four, the first step in increasing your emotional intelligence is to do a bit of introspection. Emotional intelligence is made up of many skill layers, so find out where you're strong and where you have areas of opportunity for development using an assessment. And finally, five, based on survey data, there are three areas that often show up as opportunities for development that you might want to focus a bit of extra attention on. These are A, your tolerance for stress, B, your ability to control your impulses, and C, your ability to be present and mindfully focus. As we close this segment, we started to talk about how exercising better management over your technology can help you increase your control in these three vital emotional intelligence areas. In the next segment of our discussion, we're going to go a bit deeper into what else you can do to build your mastery over these three key areas. All this and more when we come back. But first, let's learn more about what Blue EQ has to offer. I'll see you back on the other side. Have you tested your own emotional intelligence? If not, you should. Research has proven your emotional intelligence impacts your ability to lead and influence your team to accelerate business impact. Emotional intelligence refers to your ability to identify and manage your own emotions as well as the emotions of others. And frankly, when leading and interacting with others, your EQ is more important than your IQ. Blue EQ, the global leader in emotional intelligence assessments and training, is here to help. Blue EQ offers a highly interactive virtual training workshop coupled with two EQ assessments, a development plan, and access to an online academy. You'll improve your overall leadership skills as well as your mindfulness, impulse control, stress tolerance, to name a few. Join the tens of thousands of leaders from over 75 countries that have taken the Blue EQ Assessment and Training Workshop. You'll learn to engage at work, advance your career, influence others, and leave the stress at work. Space is limited, so act fast. To reserve your seats, visit blueeq.com. That's B-L-U-E-Q.com. BlueEQ.com. 
Hi there, this is Joe Santana, creator and host of ERG Power Talk. Are you getting the most out of this podcast? Is it turning you into a better version of yourself? A version of you that is ready to take on more significant assignments and opportunities in your career? Well, if you think you're ready to take your ERG Power Talk experience to the next level, I invite you to join us for this summer's 2021 ERG Power Talk Virtual Academy. Learn the secrets to getting promoted 500 to 600% more often than competitors, becoming a happier and more engaging leader, defrosting any middle managers that stand in your way, and in fact, getting them to open doors for you, mastering your emotions so that you can succeed in any situation and harnessing the persuasive powers of a Dr. Martin Luther King when you speak. If you are a member of one of the leading companies that I mentioned at the beginning of this program, then you're in luck. All you need to do is accept our calendar invite. Your company's sponsorship gets you a front row seat to the Academy with no extra charge to you personally. You also get access to a full video recording of the program. But if you're not fortunate enough to work for one of these leading companies that sponsor the show, never fear. You can still secure a seat. Just go to ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash virtual academy. 2021 and register as an individual sponsor. Again, just go to ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash virtual academy 2021. ergpowertalk.com forward slash 2021 forward slash 05 forward slash 10 forward slash one word, virtual academy with no spaces and with no spaces followed by the number 2021. I'll be there to greet you personally with each of our guest instructors. Sign up now for massive early bird discounts. And we're back. Let's rejoin Kelly. Let's drill down on stress. Say I take the evaluation you were talking about and I realize that my stress levels could really use some work. What are some additional things I can do just to increase my stress tolerance? This one's actually pretty easy in, in, as far as in concept. And it, it's simply the idea of self-care. We're terrible at that, typically. Our culture, we're terrible at the self-care aspect. Taking some time to recharge, whether it's just weekends or hobbies or vacations, which has obviously been a struggle in the last year or so with covid but doing those things, even just simple things like enough, getting enough sleep. What do we do when we go to bed? We go to bed late. Our phone is the last thing we typically check, put it on the charger. When we wake up, we look at what emails came in or notifications came in. We're not, we're not disconnecting and taking time for ourselves. And so that's part technology and just part making sure that we take some time for ourselves. We're, we feel guilty when we self-care. And it's, I want to swipe that out. It is so critical. It's just like uh, plugging your device in and charging at night. Our bodies need that. Our emotions, our mind need that time to, to recharge. And, 
And uh, I hope COVID has helped us to some degree to do some of that as, as the world stopped spinning, so to speak, a little bit. And we had to look at our life. In fact, uh, as a side note, Joe, out of all of these dimensions we measure, all of them went down. Stress tolerance was the largest, but one of them went up, only one, and it was introspection. And introspection is about looking inward and analyzing yourself and so forth, assessing your personal performance. That was the only one, and it actually increased by almost 6% in COVID, which was really interesting to us. So uh, this idea of self-care, again, we don't do very well at that culturally. In fact, when I do coaching one-on-one, I often ask Give me a letter grade. How do you do self, self-care? No one's ever given me an A. I've never once had someone go, I do really well there. Mm-hmm. I've had a few Bs, but it's mostly Cs and Ds and some Fs that go, I just don't. That's something we need to, we need to wipe the guilt away and, and make sure to realize that that's actually a very effective thing to do to, to help manage the stress that we have is to disconnect, to recharge, whether it's getting enough sleep, nutrition, exercise to vacations and things like that. So that's a big one, I think, with with stress tolerance. The other thing that I think that's a big deal, and most people listening to this will not do this. I'll just tell you that right now, but it's being okay with saying no. How do you feel about that? When your boss comes to you and says, I need you to do this. And how many people actually feel comfortable saying, I just can't really put that on my plate right now. Very few people that I've talked to, at least they feel like they're going to be on some list somewhere or something that they've got a bad mark or whatever. And I've managed a lot of people in my life. And and as a boss, I would much rather have someone to say, I can get to that, but it would be at this time frame, or I just don't think I can do it effectively than say yes and not meeting the deadline or not doing it actually effectively. So being okay with going, gosh, my my plate is just chock full right now. And if you're okay with a month from now or whatever, again, most people are uncomfortable doing that because they feel like it puts them in a bad light with their boss who's asking them to do this. Anyway, that might be helpful on stress tolerance. Okay, so two things I heard here were, one, practice self-care, Take time to do things like sleep, exercise, enjoy fun activities. And two, learn effective ways to say no. And I think here, the important thing is to build some boundaries around your time that you're comfortable with. How many hours will you work? How many hours will you spend on your resource group community? How many hours do you want to spend on yourself? and then learn to say no to any attempts to overload you in any way that threatens those various areas, with some flexibility, of course, but to maintain some level of boundaries around yourself. So what about impulse control? What do you advise people do to increase their impulse control? Yeah. First of all, we live in an impulsive culture, there's no question. From anything from shopping to if Amazon is more than two days, we're upset. This is the culture we live in. Information, we can get it immediately. We live in an impulsive culture. And then there's been this fallacy that's developed and it's going away to some degree. It is going away to some degree, but it's the idea that a leader needs to know on the spot, the right decision. And if you don't, you're a weak leader. That's this idea that's out there to some degree. And and it it is going away because like I said, a far more collaborative style of leadership has been emerging in the 21st century. And especially as leaders, those of you listening who are leadership, there is nothing wrong. In fact, it's far more powerful to be able to collaborate and ask some input and then make the decision instead of on the spot, making that decision right away. And something I always talk about when I train leaders is um, solicit input for sure. Uh, And it's not, it's far different than just saying any ideas or any questions. 
it's really about approaching people, especially those who might be a little more introverted or uh, a little more shy or whatever. Uh, maybe it's privately go and say, hey, you didn't say much in our meetings. We talked about this new policy or this new concept or this new model. What were your thoughts? I want those thoughts. That's powerful. Again, as leaders, like we have to be impulsive and quick in, in this fast-paced business world we're in. We're actually doing ourselves a disservice a lot of times. Let me share a quick story with you. I trained a group of a surgeons a, a few years ago, and they scored uh, collectively one of the lowest I've seen ever in impulse control. It legitimately scared me. I thought, these, are, these guys are, my health is in your hands here. It's one of the lowest impulse surgeons. I really pressed them on this. I'm like, talk to me about this. What is going on? And it was a really worthwhile discussion. And I'll never forget that they justified it. They said, listen, Kelly, we're in the operating room all the time. We don't have time to collaborate and ask questions. We've got people on the operating table. Sometimes they're dying and we just got a quick impulsive decision-making of what we think needs to happen right there then in the moment. And I thought about that. I thought, boy, that makes sense. And then I said this, I said, I get it. However, I know impulse control can be and should be higher. Keep talking. What's going on here? It was so interesting. I'll never forget this doctor who eventually piped up and he just said this. He said, you know what? I think we've taken the operating room mentality to all other aspects of our lives. You should have seen the heads in that room just nod and go, he is exactly right. In other words, is it the right decision when the medical assistant or the uh, patient or the spouse comes up to you to talk and you go, just do this. Do you know what I mean? Just jump in like you're in the operating room. No, of course not. That's the time to, to really make sure we're not being impulsive. So anyway, tips. We talked to you asked about tips. How do we improve things like impulse control? Again, seeking input, making sure we have a really healthy feedback. In fact, we talk a lot about Blue EQ. We talk about people feeling safe to challenge, which it's one thing to just say, does anybody have a different perspective? And it's a whole other thing to say, I really want a different perspective here. I really want someone to challenge me on this. And I want to make sure this is the right way. So give me a different perspective. Anyway, that that's it's uncomfortable for most people. There's no question. It's uncomfortable for, for a lot of people to act that way, but it helps us to avoid some of the impulses of, of, our, of what we're thinking of, of doing. The other thing I think is so powerful is just making sure that when we have a major decision, that we have a confidant, of, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's whoever, that we go, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What's your thoughts? And getting that perspective. In our research, more than half the time, the decision is changed after getting that uh, perspective of someone you really trust. And that's, uh, that's just very interesting to think about. And so impulse control, again, it's the environment, the culture we live in. It's something we need to slow down a little bit and uh, just making sure we're, we're doing it deliberately correct. So the advice here is to learn to use the right speed when making decisions. Even if you're in a business like those surgeons where fast decision-making is important, the point you're making is you don't need to bring the operating room pace of response to everything that you do. In situations where you don't need to make a fast decision, you can use that extra time to get input from others or just to think things through a little more carefully instead of acting reflexively. Kelly, what about mindfulness? So I think it might be worth reading our definition of mindfulness because uh, mindfulness is a little bit of a buzzword out there. And I think a lot of people, they think meditation, which can be certainly a part of, of mindfulness. But let me read the definition of, of how we actually define this. It's being present in the moment. It's paying attention to what you're doing, thinking, feeling, and saying 
It's focusing on the person or situation at hand. It's being aware from moment to moment. Now, for that definition, I'm sure those who are listening can understand exactly why many people score low there. We're all multitasking all the time. We're distracted by quite often. We're, we're actually very good at that. You get good at what you repeatedly do, right? And so we're really quite good at being distracted and, and moving quickly back and forth task to task. Unfortunately, things like our relationships suffer quite often. Training at one of our biggest clients here a couple of years ago, I'll never forget that the person that is in the workshop, she was raised around, she said, my boss is really good at this. And I said, well, please explain. She said, when I come into her office, this is pre-COVID days, of course, but when I come into her office, she actually stands up, she leaves her actual computer and she sits next to me. We make eye contact, we have a conversation. Now, how many people do that? How many people, when their direct reports or coworker comes into their office, are looking at their computer screen while they're listening? That's probably more common. Or their spouse. So they're listening to their spouse while they're looking at their computer, checking email, maybe writing an email. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work that well. The research is pretty clear that this multitasking idea is not very effective. And we would do well to, to learn to really focus and learn to be present in, in the moment. In fact, I'll share with you, Joe, my favorite quote uh, about mindfulness. Gandhi said this, wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. That just resonated with me because again, we're not that good at that. We're constantly thinking about the next thing or distracted or multitasking and so forth. So this is a big deal, this idea of mindfulness. And again, the technology is probably the biggest culprit here as far as uh, hurting our mindfulness. And so again, I share that tip about learning to manage and control the technology that's working for you and not, not causing the problems. So mindfulness is being totally where you are and focused on the people and the moment at hand with your full attention. This is the opposite of mind wandering, which is what we experience when perhaps we're walking casually down a street and our brain is moving our feet on autopilot while our attention and thoughts move across multiple topics randomly, many of which have nothing to do with our immediate surroundings. So I would imagine that staying that focused and connected with the people who are in front of us is probably made a bit tougher when we're doing it using technology as opposed to in person. We actually correct, Joe. The part of our emotional intelligence is really learning to read people, that awareness of other people, and picking up on what, calls, what psychologists call micro-expressions. Uh, the little subtle clues that are being displayed non-verbally for the most part, but sometimes in tone of voice and, and so forth, it really helps us to be aware of people, to communicate better with people and so forth. And we're not getting that as much uh, digitally, virtually. It's very tough to get some of those. I think we're getting more and more comfortable with cameras on, which does make a difference because not only uh, are you seeing the person that you're interacting with, but they're more focused because they're on camera. And, and that certainly helps. It doesn't replace the in-person. I don't know that that can be replaced. But what I always what I share with people is it's all the more reason why we need to get better at being more aware of people because it's harder. In fact, if we're in-person, we're often wearing a mask. How hard is it to see you know, their facial expression with a mask on? And, you know, you're... You, can you tell they're smiling just through the eyes sometimes? And so really focusing and being aware of other people is even more important in the COVID world because of the isolation, because of the virtualness, because of the, the masks and social distancing. 
And it's not easy. In fact, in the old days, pre-COVID, our workshop contained a whole module on reading these nonverbal clues, which is just uh, hardly applies anymore right now in the virtual world. I always tell people, if you can get on camera, you're best. If you can't at least get on the phone because you hear the tone, you hear the volume, the pitch, the inflection, all that stuff, just email alone is, is difficult to be clear in the communication, be clear in the intent and, and build that relationship uh, with people. And so there's definitely some things that COVID has brought forth that, yeah, may never go away to some degree. And again, all the more reason why we need to be better at, at uh, being aware of other people because it is tougher than the face-to-face that many of us are used to. Yes, for sure. So Kelly, as a community group leader, how do I help the members of my group to build these important EQ skills? I'll give you two ways. Number one is simple modeling. Most human behaviors learned observationally. It's by watching other people. And so as a leader, if you're modeling high emotional intelligence, good communication, whatever, then that is, is replicated by the people uh, below you. If you're not, Again, they're watching that behavior, they're learning from that behavior, they're imitating that behavior. And so modeling becomes so important to spreading high emotional intelligence in, in, a, in an organization, in a workplace. And the second thing I think is coaching. As leaders, we absolutely need to take those aside who are disrupting the team culture because of low emotional intelligence and work with them and help them. Again, it's a learnable skill. And so whether it's, for example, optimism, is emotional intelligence dimension. So maybe somebody is really lacks optimism and it's spreading throughout. We need to pull that individual side and coach them and help them uh, see the effect of that negativity. Or again, maybe it's accountability. Accountability is one of those lesser known uh, ideas of emotional intelligence. Your accountability is part of your emotional intelligence and, and it drags a whole team down when somebody isn't accountable. And so being able to pull that person aside, coach them, help them, develop them, work with them. We need to do much more of that. I, I just think that we shy away from that sometimes. Maybe we're uncomfortable with it or maybe we don't think they can actually change. Uh, there's a whole host of reasons perhaps, but a good leader needs to be constantly teaching, training, coaching, giving feedback, positive, constructive, whatever, to help develop their people. And when people realize that they're genuinely interested in their success, that in their development, boy, there can be some very positive experiences that come out of that and everybody benefits. And so those are two that I just think of at the top of my head is make sure you're modeling the correct behavior because people are watching you. And, and number two, uh, don't let some of those who aren't modeling the behavior go too long. Make sure that, that there's some lots of coaching and, and feedback and help with those people who may not understand this, these ideas. Yeah, great point. So Kelly, for our listeners who are now intrigued and want to take a deeper dive into this topic, what resources do you recommend? Yeah, the book that I like is simply Harvard Business Review's Top 10. You've seen those perhaps, Jill, they do them on various subjects. There's an HBR Top 10 on Emotional Intelligence. And I love that because it's 10 articles, some very recent, all breaking down this construct and helping you understand you 10 different perspectives and so forth. It's not very thick. You know what I mean? It's just, I like that one quite a lot. The thing I think is uh, visiting our website. We have quite a lot of resources on there and uh, videos and so forth. BlueEQ.com. You're welcome to go there and, and visit uh, or even reach out to us if we can uh, be of more assistance uh, in helping learn 
learn more about this and develop this. We, we do a lot of webinars that are free. We do quite a lot of, of paid public workshops. If you're interested in this idea, again, our website has the schedule and, and all those sorts of things, but you can actually take the assessment and experience a, a four hour uh, workshop on how to improve emotional intelligence. And we feel so strongly about this whole idea that the training, the assessment's part of it, but, but the assessment and then the training, and then you're going to create a development plan and in 90 days, take the assessment again. That's how our program works. And you'll, you'll see more about that if you're interested on the website. But, but if you just want to learn a little more about that, I'd say grab that book. And if you're really serious about that, maybe visit our website or reach out because we could certainly help in a lot of different ways. That sounds great. And where can listeners reach you, Kelly? Sure. I'd be happy to share my email address and I'll spell it out here on the podcast. It's just Kelly, K-E-L-Y at blueeq.com. I'd be happy to you know, entertain any emails or help in any way if, if you're interested in learning more about this concept. It's not just the workplace. It's everything um, from your team your family, to your community, to a stranger. In fact, in our workshop, we use a little video of a police officer who pulls over people and and he does such a very good job of giving tickets. He has such high emotional intelligence. And in two minutes, he establishes this rapport with people. And anyway, it's just this phenomenal example of, of, again, something as awkward and uncomfortable and, and frustrating as getting a ticket. He turns it into a very positive situation. So, I just want to make sure this is not just a business concept. It's every human interaction we have, your emotions play a role, the emotions of other people play a role and learning to be more intelligent in those aspects, uh, help you be more successful in whatever you're doing. That's fantastic. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Joe. So here's what I got out of the second segment of my discussion with Kelly that I think is of value to you. One, lower your stress by taking time to take care of yourself. To do that, take charge of your time and build boundaries around your time that work for you. Learn how to say no when you believe that your boundaries are being pushed or violated. Two, to avoid acting impulsively when you don't need to just react. Learn to have more than one speed. For example, if you're making a decision where you can give yourself a bit of elbow room, then use that time to consult others and or think more deliberately about your options. If you operate in a high pressure environment, resist that urge to make snap decisions when you don't have to. This will make you less impulsive and more reflective as a leader. Three, to be more mindful, focus on being fully present where you are. So if an ERG member is talking to you, listen fully, pay attention to their words, watch their gestures, as well as your own internal reactions to what they're saying. Avoid reading emails or letting your mind wander off while working with others. Be present. Four, be especially mindful to focus on others when you are connecting with them online or in some other way that cuts off part of your communication signals. Making that human connection is vital to your success as a group leader. Five, in addition to developing these skills in yourself, coach others. Be the leader who develops other leaders. One way to develop other leaders is to help them develop their emotional intelligence. And finally, six, make this episode just 
just the beginning of your own emotional intelligence journey. As Kelly points out, there are a lot of great resources out there for you to use to continue your journey of self-discovery. Use them. I once heard a story about a woman walking up a sandy beach one evening who ran into a man who was new to the community. The man, who looked somewhat distracted, introduced himself and said, Hi, I'm new to this neighborhood. How are the people around here? To this, the woman replied, Welcome to the neighborhood. How are the people where you came from? And so the man told her about how awful his former neighbors were and how he ran a community committee to try to fix things up, but no one would really listen to him and how in frustration he just gave up and decided to move. Upon hearing this, the woman sighed and said, I think you'll find that people here are pretty much the same as where you came from. Saying their goodbyes, they both parted and continued walking in opposite directions. After about 500 feet down the beachfront, the woman ran into a second man. This man, who appeared to be somewhat cheerful and in the moment, introduced himself and said, Hi, I'm new to this neighborhood. How are the people around here? To this, the woman replied, Welcome to the neighborhood. How were the people where you came from? And so the man told her about how wonderful his former neighbors were and how he ran a community committee where everybody pulled together and they got a lot of things done and how he'd moved here to pursue some new opportunities. Upon hearing this, the woman smiled and said, I think you're going to find that people here are pretty much the same as the people where you came from. The point of this story is that our own ability to manage our emotions and relationships to a great degree creates the world that we carry around with us and project into the outside. So I urge you to continue on this journey of emotional intelligence. It's a journey that not only will make you a better and more engaging leader, it will literally light up the entire world around you. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, contact me if you're looking for an ERG Symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop, new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharger ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.